on, podcasting world? Welcome back to another episode of the Core Consults RX Podcast. And today, Cole and I are joined by two special guests. What's going on, y'all? What's up? Sana <laughs> and Emily. They are both stuck with me all month on rotation, their first appy rotation of farm mm-hmm. school. Unfortunately. Has it been everything you guys <laughs> dreamed it was going to be? It's been very exciting. <laughs> Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> <Wink>. <laughs> uh, they have to say that. They do. I do. It's actually required in writing yeah. before we go live. Or you don't get an A. Or, I guess pass, whatever yeah. it is now. I was going to say, we don't get grades anymore. Yeah. Okay. They whatever. took away the whole grade I thing. Know. So you can't, you can't punish people with grades anymore. No. Well, you could destroy their lives by <laughs> failing them on our Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's that. But uh, yeah. So I'll give you guys just a quick second. Um, Son, I'll start with you. Uh-huh. You're uh, fourth year at MUSC. Yes. What are your plans for, I guess, the rest of this year? What kind of rotations do you have? And then after that, what's your end goal as of right now? Because obviously it may change when you realize how awesome some new rotation you're going to be on is. But what are you thinking right now? Um, so the plan right now is to go into AMCARE. So kind of with, like what you're doing. Um, but we shall see um, with the rotations that I have coming up with acute care um, and cardio is the other one that I'm interested in. So Nice. You, are you, aren't you doing, are you doing CT ICU? That's me. Uh, that's Emily's yeah, doing yeah, that. Okay. Emily. I knew one of y'all was. That's an intense rotation. Yeah. I'm excited <laughs> for it though. It's in November, so I'll be ready. Nice. <laughs> um, so what are your, uh, what acute cares do you have? Um, I have cardio, I have peed, acute general med, and that's it. Okay. So you, you have three acute cares? Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> A go-getter. Yeah. Oh, um, uh, wait. I also have oncology. Four. Four. There you go. I was more of a two, the doing the bare minimum kind of guy when I was in school. I tried for more. I tried for more AIM cares too, and I just did not get them. Really? No. Bunch of bunch of like independent communities. That was like most of my year. I think I had two communities now that I think about it, but they were both like retail and they were very, you know. Yeah. You know, kind of the same thing I've always been doing. Yeah. But um, Emily, what about you? What's your plans? Um, I'd like to go the more inpatient hospital side of things um not really sure what area yet but looking to figure that out on rotations um i also have three acute cares and three am cares as of right now and plus antimicrobial stewardship whichever you consider that one to be some people say it's like acute care but feels more acute care it's technically an elective yeah so (laughs) Um, yeah, we'll see how, see how things go. Antimicrobial stewardship. Is that, um, going to like, is that inpatient or is that just like on a committee or how is it, is that like direct patient care or is it only like kind of behind the scenes stuff? I think it's mostly behind the scenes stuff because those preceptors also do an acute care infectious disease rotation. So I think antimicrobial stewardship is supposed to be more like getting to go into the micro lab and see the bugs and That's then, cool. um, kind of think about recommendations and what's going to cover certain things and learn about resistance and, and everything like that. So that's awesome. Yeah. That'd be fun. I do wish I had done something along the lines of like, like one lab type, um, elective rotation kind of thing. Cause it's that those look pretty fun. All right. So this patient case today, cause we we're mm-hmm. trying to figure out what kind of topic we want to talk about. And we thought, you know what? Let's present a patient case instead, and this is a patient that uh, me and Emily and Sana saw on Friday, which 
since you're listening to this, you have no idea which Friday we're even talking <laughs> about, so it doesn't matter. Um, but uh, we saw this patient for the first time, and it went in as a routine, you know, hey, let's talk about your diabetes, and then turned into a bunch of other stuff that we had to talk about. So um, just kind of uh, figured we'd share this, walk through it, and then we can kind of use this as a discussion. So I'll give you guys some background information. Um, the patient, like I said, was a, a new patient to us, um, had a past uh, diagnosis of type 2 diabetes as well as hypertension, and um, the, the patient didn't say anything about cholesterol, although when we ran lipid lab, it was very high. The LDL was quite high. Um, and that was about it as far as the what the patient at least told us. Um, the patient is, is a uh, is a truck driver, so has a commercial driver's license, and so uh, always taking that into account as far as what kind of therapies we can start and things like that. Um, patient was uninsured at the time um, and was hoping to get their insurance back coming soon, but as of right now, it was self-pay, and so that also kind of throws a wrench into things um, occasionally, and um, patient was off all medications for the last five months before coming to us. Mm. Um, basically, a family member um, dropped the hammer on him and told him to get to the doctor and get everything checked out and fixed if there was something out of whack, um, which there was. So um, very, very uh, nice person, um, and especially after the family member kind of got onto him, was very willing to work with us as far as treatment options and things. But um, like I said, we went in for initially kind of uh, the patient saw our, one of our nurse practitioners to kind of establish care, and then she referred over um, to us for diabetes education. And then that same day, all of his labs came back, and we got the green light to fix him, as, as we as, as the nurse practitioner said. So um, we were we were kind of doing our best with the medication management and kind of going through. So um, just to kind of give you an idea of what the labs looked like, um, hemoglobin A1C was above 15. So that was the first one we looked at, which was ouch. Um, the patient's uh, CMP showed that their EGFR was 53 um, the glucose at the time when they ran the CMP was 580. Um, sodium was 131. Um, the calcium was 10.3. Um, Emily, what's this corrected calcium? That was 9.7. Okay. And then uh, liver was fine. Um, those were the only labs that were kind of uh, out of whack a little bit. Um, the lipid panel showed an LDL of 177. Um, triglycerides were 384, which probably was stemming from the uncontrolled diabetes. Um, their patient's albumin-creatinine ratio was 248, um, and their vitamin D level was 11.5, so that was also low. And uh, thyroid was normal. Um, all other labs they did a full workup on them uh, was all normal, so the ones that I mentioned were the ones that were out of range. So kind of where we can start with this patient because we'll kind of walk through it. I guess we'll start with diabetes since that was kind of our initial uh, assessment and what we were supposed to be in there for in the first place. So um, do you want to kind of talk us through the initial thing with getting him back on metformin and what we talked to him about? Or do you want me to keep going? I don't want to speak the whole time. So he had been um, off his meds but had taken metformin previously in the mm -hmm. past. So since we were going to be starting him back on the metformin, um, 
if they've been off it for a while, they can still experience those um, GI side effects of like diarrhea, indigestion, uh, if you do too high of a dose too quickly. So our plan was to start him on just 500 milligrams of the extended release um, with once daily with the biggest meal of the day and then do that for one to two weeks and then he can bump it up to twice a day and then um, reevaluate that once he comes back into the clinic. Yeah. yeah. And the patient's renal function was already declining. So right. um, that's another reason, you know, we kind of started off slow as well. Um, got on the uh, extended release version and uh, talked to him about taking him with food and all that good stuff. And then we did come up with a kind of a titration schedule for him, but he's going to be coming back for close follow up anyway. So for the first uh, couple weeks, we're going to have him on uh, once a day dosing and then bump it up for a couple weeks to one 500 milligram in the morning and then 500 milligrams uh, in the evening. Right. Which is good. And we've talked about renal stuff with metformin before, but, um, refresher it's contraindicated with renal function less than 30, 30 to 45. They recommend at least the label as not initiating it, uh, because of, um, but we've talked about how that's kind of come under, you know, some dispute scrutiny, scrutiny, but for him, um, yeah, he's outside of that range, but yeah, with anyone see above 15, great to get him back on metformin. We're going to need more though, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was the thing that I kind of explained to him as well as, you know, metformin is great. I explained why we like metformin as far as like the long-term, um, you know, cardiovascular protection and long-term benefits you can get from the, from metformin. But with an A1C of 15, we're going to absolutely have to have better, uh, or at least a second, maybe even third line agent. And, um, he then told us that he had been on Trulicity. Uh, mm-hmm. before when he had insurance and he was like oh that thing did wonders i loved it and you know that that ideally would have been a great thing to put him back on but then the whole cost came into play yes yeah. uh trulicity even in our clinic because we're an fqhc and so we have 340b pricing in our pharmacy and so you've heard me mention before that we can get drugs fairly cheap but even with that like i think trulicity is still um around 300 dollars. so it's way cheaper than it is right. you know in a retail pharmacy, Maybe but seven or 800 most places, most places, you know, most people want $300 burning a hole in their pocket. Yeah. So, um, you know, that was where we kind of started looking at some other options. Um, my second initial thought was to look at a SGLT2 because mm-hmm. we have Jardians, uh, very, um, cost effective at our, uh, play. We can get Jardians a 30 day supply for, I think it's $20. Oh um, man. I know it's great. It's crazy. <laughs> it's a different world. It's crazy. And I've gotten very spoiled because now I can literally be like, yeah. I mean, we have so many patients that are uninsured and I'm just like, yeah, let's start you on this. We can do that. And like, we don't have to think about pricing a lot, of, a lot of times. Right now in South Carolina, we are kind of spoiled even just in regular clinics because you can get most people drugs between Medicaid and Wolvista, which we talked about a little bit more. There is like a small window of people who don't fit into either of those categories, but that is the minority. Uh, so between those two, you can generally get them on something, but it is difficult for patients who don't have insurance because outside of, you know, um, an FQHC, um, SGLT2s would probably be out of the picture. GLP1s would be out of the picture. So you're looking at med or DPP4s, even if you want to consider it be out. So you'd be like metformin, maybe a cheaper insulin, and then you're down to like, you know, TZDs and um, sulfonylureas. Um, and of course, you mentioned that this guy's got a tricky situation because he's a truck driver. Right. So truck drivers cannot use insulin. Yes. Um, but they can use GLP-1s. They and that's can. And that's the big thing because he, when, 
and I've run into this before. He was familiar with Trulicity, so it wasn't an issue. But I've run into some of them where I start talking about an injection, and they won't even hear me out because they think that that's against the CDL's, you know, licensing or whatever. But it's that that's fine. So really, with obviously with the truck situation, you're worried about insulin because of hypoglycemia, right? Uh, and the hypoglycemic risk. If you have an event where you go low and you end up having an issue uh, in a truck is not a great situation. Right. So they they will take your license, your CDL away until you can come off insulin. And so there's um, that made another kind of threw another wrench into our into our mix. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. So, but at the same time, you can work that in your favor and use it as motivation for lifestyle changes as well. Absolutely. As well as medication adherence, which this guy obviously has a problem with, right? Yeah, and. And like I said, he, luckily he had good family support. Um, and by that, I mean his family member was absolutely not letting him get away with it. <laughs> Every time he would try to give me like a, you know, a excuse or, you know, a, you know, like, I don't know if I'm going to hit his family member would be on him. Like, you're doing it. <laughs> this is not a question. <laughs> and so it was, it was pretty funny. But, um, you know, looking at all the options, my first thought was, okay, well, we can do an SGLT2, like I said, with Jardians. And... But the problem with that is his potassium. Um, I think I mentioned his potassium. Um, I may not have. His potassium was a five. So it was normal. Um, however, trending upper, limits, know, upper right. limits. And the other thing is because he's got that albumin creatinine ratio uh, that's a little elevated, as well as his kidney function declining, uh, I really wanted him to be on an ACE inhibitor if possible. And so kind of had a dilemma there of an ACE inhibitor can increase potassium and so can an SGLT2. And I definitely didn't want to be able to start both of them, especially since he's new to the clinic. I don't know what his follow-up, I mean, for all I know, he's going to take these meds and never come back. Right. So it's one of those things, okay, what's which one do I have to target then if I can't do both? And so that was one thing to kind of consider. Um, the other part of it is his kidney function. As your kidney function declines, SGLT2 inhibitors actually lose their efficacy as far as your A1C lowering. Right. Now, with the new data coming out, like with Credence, with um, Imbocana, mm-hmm. they show that the renal protection still stands, but the A1C lowering is not there anymore once you get especially less than 30 um, mils per minute. And so I didn't, you know, I, because I've been able to follow this, this gentleman, I don't know how quickly his renal function has declined. His A1C is so high. I don't know how long it's been that high. And so I'm also like a little bit leery about that because he's fine right now. But that's um, something at least I had to have in the back of my mind. If he starts to go lower, um, the, technically speaking, the label indication for Jardians is less than 45. You're not supposed to use it. Um, we do have data from like Empereg that shows less than 30 should probably right. be the cutoff. But uh, so, yeah, that was another kind of dilemma. Um, luckily, uh, we we do have Victoza as an option. So another GLP-1 that is for a month supply, $55. And he said he could afford that. He said he was good with that. Um, he had heard of it before. Newton, I talked to him about it being the same class as Trulicity, but once daily instead of once weekly. So he was on board and um, we were able to get him on that. Um, one thing, and I've, I know we've mentioned this before, but one of the shifts like in the guidelines as far as the ADA goes, um, we used to say if a patient needed an injectable medication, they kind of you know, always brought up basal insulin as the first line injectable, or at least you know, in their algorithm seemed to be uh, open to whatever you wanted to select as, a, as your first line option. Now they've actually said as long as the patient can have access to it and doesn't have any contraindications to it, that they prefer a GLP-1. 
um, and is kind of like the first line injectable. And I think that's something that a lot of times we still are in the habit of automatically jumping to basal insulin when we see A1C that high. But um, we've had several patients at our clinic that were able to get from the teen, you know, being in the teens with their A1C down to seven or eight right. um, with just a GLP-1 without using insulin at all. Because, I mean, the standard lowering is about a point, maybe a little over a point. But if the higher your A1C is, the more benefit you're going to get from a GLP-1. Yeah, especially if we can include the diet and exercise piece. Right. And because he's going to lose some weight on the GLP-1 anyway. Yeah. The, the diet part is always huge. And that, that's one of the things we always talk about with patients is if we don't have start making progress on the diet side, the, the medicine's only going to do so much. Right. So we talked to him about kind of the, the benefits of being on a GLP one or, you know, Victoza specifically, um, talked to him about the cardiovascular protection and, and all that. And so he was on board, um, was able to get that medication and get started on, on right. that. So concerns, um, with starting. So you want to check them for, you know, history of thyroid cancer and all that stuff. Cause that's, that's random. Also pancreatitis. Um, so this guy's triglycerides were kind of high. Hopefully I'm sure we'll talk about cholesterol, but with a statin, we'd be bringing those down quick and, uh, would lower risk for pancreatitis. Probably more concerned about it if it's upwards of 500. Um, and then probably let him know he's probably going to be nauseous some point in the next week or two, um, maybe considerably, um, but it will pass and important to let them know that up front uh, so that you don't fail the therapy because they get nauseous and don't want it. Especially if you do have a patient moving from Trulicity, like a once weekly version to Victoza, the once daily, just because the once dailies are a little bit more um, likely to cause like the nausea, the constipation, those type of adverse effects versus the once weekly is usually more of like the injection site reactions because you're getting like that kind of like a depot effect. And so, that's kind of how I thought about it. And plus, since we had just started on metformin, yeah, we definitely brought that up that um, we to expect some some potential GI upset, which he was fine with. So yeah. So for today, diabetes, get him back on metformin, get him on GLP one. Hopefully, he'll follow up. Yeah, and we reasonably soon. Yeah, and we his, uh, I think his like um, random blood glucose was like five eighty. Five eighty. Yeah. So was he having like hyperglycemic symptoms? Not really that he was complaining about. Yeah. I don't think. Do you guys remember him saying anything about that? No, he was pretty comfortable. Yeah, it was actually like, I mean, he seemed pretty comfortable. No man's 580 on completely. Liver. He seemed completely, like if you didn't know any better, you'd think he was completely healthy. Syrup like, yeah. running through his veins. Yeah. He wasn't exceptionally overweight or anything mm, like that yeah. either. That, so. Yeah. 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 Just, I said, truck driver lifestyle. I mean, I'm, you know, if I was driving a truck, I'd be drinking soda all day, so. A lot of sugar. You'd be drinking diet sodas. Don't you lie to everybody. Uh, don't ask my wife. She'll tell you. She'll tell you what I do. <laughs> Regular soda all day. Yeah. Oh, also, I thought this was pretty important when the contraindications to GLP. I know you said thyroid cancer. Um, and we actually called Dr. Ward about that to ask about hyperthyroidism because mm-hmm. we kind of got confused about whether that would be a contraindication, but it's not. So. Yeah. Because the patient had actually had a uh, thyroidectomy. Okay. Yeah. Because um, he had a goiter mm-hmm. um, removed, but not related to cancer. Right. right. And that's what, and we've verified that, and and we've called Dr. Ward to see if there's any new research that had come out. Because I, w- I would, wasn't familiar with anything, but I also don't, I, you know, didn't want to assume I've heard every mm-hmm. detail. So um, we asked him, and he's like, "Nope, it's perfectly fine." Nice. So I felt much more confident <laughs> then. I feel very confident after that. <laughs> yes. The okay from Dr. W. Exactly. So, yeah, that was a good point because I, I forgot that was the same patient. Um, so, 
that was kind of diabetes for him. So we'll follow up with him. He's got an appointment with our dietitian to kind of get the eating under control and figure out what kind of mistakes he's making potentially with diet. So we'll get him back on that. So that was kind of that piece. Uh, and then we also had the blood pressure issue. So we weren't going to use an SGLT2. So we could go with a uh, ACE inhibitor. Um, the reason why the amlodipine regimen was a little concerning, one, because blood pressure was still really high. Um, two, because his blood pressure really, you know, being stage two hypertension, it's kind of indicated to be on multiple medications in a lot of cases. And uh, he, he wasn't was on, even on amlodipine 10. He was on amlodipine 5. Right. And so he was on amlodipine 5. He had just gotten started on that like a day or two prior from the nurse practitioner. And then when we got his labs back the day that we saw him, the the concern was, so he was African-American, so the amlodipine would have been a good monotherapy option for him. So that was spot on. But then when the labs came back and we saw that the patient had that albumin-creatinine ratio that was um, stage two, that amlodipine could potentially make that worse. Um, so I'm sure you guys have heard us talk about this in the podcast before, but amlodipine, if you think about the nephron, so you have the afferent arterial bringing blood flow into the glomerulus, and then that's kind of filtering everything and pushing it down into the rest of the nephron, so the proximal convoluted tubule, loop of Henle, all that good stuff. Um, and then you have the efferent arterial taking blood flow away from the glomerulus. The amlodipine will dilate the efferent arterial, but not the efferent side. And so you get this increased blood flow into the glomerulus, but not out, outflow. And so interglomerular pressure goes up, and we have to worry about worsening that nephropathy and potentially causing proteinuria as time goes on. So he was kind of already elevated. Like I said, it was, uh, his albumin creatinine ratio was 248. So not quite severe, but uh, which would be above 300, but still something I didn't want to just keep him on amlodipine by itself. We got to get him on some kind of renal protection. And so um, the lisinopril is what we ended up going with, um, adding him on to uh, the regimen. So a couple things. Um, we could have gone with a thiazide diuretic, uh, technically speaking, if we were truly worried about the kidneys, like let's say he didn't have the albumin creatinine ratio, um, his kidney function wasn't as bad, but maybe his potassium was elevated and we didn't want to start an ACE inhibitor. Um, we could have gone with a thiazide, or a, yeah, thiazide diuretic, which you guys have heard Cole and I talk many times. We prefer the chlorothaladone and dapamide. Um, but the issue with that is if you think about the electrolyte imbalances that can occur, you're going to get a decrease in sodium, which he was already having. Um, the decrease in potassium wouldn't have hurt him necessarily. But the calcium, which once we did the corrected calcium, realized it was in the high side of normal. But still, uh, calcium would go up um, with the thiazide diuretic. And then so would glucose, which he's already he doesn't need any help with reabsorbing <laughs> glucose. And so a thiazide diuretic, even an evidence-based one, probably wouldn't be the best option in this patient, at least until we can get everything else under control. So the ACE inhibitor was really kind of the route we had had to go with. And I think, did he say he had been on lisinopril in the past? Because he was familiar with the, the name, at least, I think. He knew the name. I'm not sure whether he said he was actually ever on it, though. I'm not sure. And uh, definitely, you know, that combination, the lisinopril and the amlodipine, is what we saw in the accomplished trial mm -hmm. that, you know, led to reduced um, cardiovascular outcomes right. um, within 
or cardiovascular events um, within a two-year span. And those versus amlodipine, HCTZ, right? Uh, Benazepril, um, HCTZ. Yeah. So the ACE-CCB uh, combo was superior, even though they got the same blood, blood pressure, pressure lowering. Right, Sana? Yes. <laughs> Sana was educating uh, some colleagues about the accomplished trial recently. And I was like, see, you're already rocking it out. It's only been two weeks in the rotation. (laughs) Two and a half. (laughs) Two and a half. Sorry, Emily. I'm I'm dripping into that half a week. I never count the week until. She's obviously looking forward to the end. I know. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) And the truth comes out. (laughs) But, um, yeah. So so, hopefully he'll follow up and you can keep an eye on the potassium, right? Yeah. And the other thing is, so we have a baseline serum creatinine on this patient, uh, which was... Uh, what was it? Um, 1.66. So the other thing to kind of consider is we know that we're going to get a little bit of an acute increase in your serum creatinine. Um, however, there contrary to sometimes you'll hear people giving like these, um, kind of baseline serum creatinines that are, that are contraindicated to start an ACE because of the, the data that came out in 2006, looking at benazepril and end-stage renal disease, as well as some meta-analyses and things like that. They, they do recommend that not necessarily having a contraindicated baseline that you, you can't go above, but taking whatever the patient's baseline serum creatinine is, and then watching for a 30% bump from their particular baseline. Because patients in that study from the benazepril study, they had serum creatinines up to five. So he's way lower than some yeah. of those patients. So we're basically going to bring him back in a couple of weeks, check his serum creatinine, look for a bump, and then we'll, if we need to, then we can kind of address an, any kind of an AKI or anything. Since we're adding on the ACE, did we want to bump up the amlodipine or just leave it until we see how the ACE is tolerated? So since he is, well, in theory, coming back so quickly, um, we basically told him to... Uh, stay on like go on the ace initially and then we would check his blood pressure when he came back and bump it up if we needed to gotcha um but yeah not a bad thought as far as that side effects from calcium channel blockers since he had just started on the the big one we think about is peripheral edema and uh for those of you who are like hey if i have patient with peripheral edema let's give him a loop diuretic low dose then sauna's gonna call you and be like why are you doing that that's not gonna work at all right sauna right exactly so um, if you do have peripheral edema from a calcium channel blocker, uh, make sure you're treating with an ACE inhibitor, which is what we did. He wasn't having that, but just in case, you can use an ACE inhibitor because it's a capillary, um, uh, increased blood flow into the capillary issue, not a fluid retention problem like we typically see. So loop diuretic will not do anything. Correct. Got to dilate that post-capillary bed and relieve that you know, capillary pressure. Same concept as the... The nephron with the yeah. proteinuria. Same concept in the capillaries. Yeah. On that line of thinking, the only other med on his list is gabapentin. What was he taking that for? So I think he was he was having some shoulder, um, like neuropathy. It, he it wasn't. I don't know if it wanted to say neuropathy, but it was a it was like shoulder. It sounded like some nerve damage from an injury. Okay. Um, so he had been on that before, and he said his shoulder was bothering him, so that they just put him back on that instead of giving him you know an opioid or anything. So no peripheral neuropathy type. Not that he was complaining about in this thing. He, he I didn't see a B twelve. Literally was showing uh, his uh, his arm. Gotcha. Yeah, and we he had been off metformin for like the last five or six months, so um, definitely we'll monitor his B twelve as time goes on. But since he hadn't been on it, we didn't draw that. Gotcha. Um, what else? Lipids. Lipids. Cole, you want to take that one? Yes. I mean, uh, this guy's got significant diabetes. His LDL is 177. Um, has he been on anything in the past? I don't think he had been. 
if I remember correctly. Yeah, I'm sure if we calculated an ASCVD on this guy, which I don't know if y'all did, be pretty high. Oh, we definitely did. Yeah. I just don't remember. <laughs> just kidding. We Either didn't. way, I see no reason to not get this guy started on a high-intensity stand. Yeah. And, you know, if, if he didn't have all these other risk factors and things, if, if his LDL wasn't elevated, then, you know, we we most likely would get, be just fine doing a Torva statin 10. Yeah. So based on, like, the CARDS trial, which is a done in patients with diabetes that um, was a primary prevention study, um, the a Torva 10 reduced the rate of cardiovascular events. And so the newest lipid guidelines do recommend a moderate intensity a Torva 10 if you're trying to be evidence-based. Um, statin in, in di patients with diabetes. Uh, now he's not quite at that like 190 sort of threshold to like automatically start assessing him for a um, high intensity. Right. But um, like Cole said, I think because of his kidney disease, because of his other risk factors, his long term uncontrolled diabetes, um, I definitely uh, think that being on a higher intensity statin would be totally fine. Um, hopefully his triglycerides will. Uh, start to come down once his blood sugar gets a little bit better controlled. But if if not, if once his A1C is you know more a more normal range, if his triglycerides are still elevated, then um, remember we've talked about like the reduce it trial mm -hmm. where they've added on Vicepi um, to uh, a statin therapy to reduce those triglycerides as well as kind of preventing cardiovascular events. So if you haven't looked into that, make sure you check it out. The ADA has updated their guidelines. I don't think the lipid guidelines have updated or put out an update to that. Not that I've seen. Not that I've seen. Um, so, yeah. So we ended up putting him on uh, a Torvastatin, and he was good with that. The Kind of going into it, I was like hedging almost, like super hedging, because I'm like, I'm going to start this guy like four mad. He's going to be super mad at me. And I, I expected a lot more resistance. He really didn't give us any... He's like, all right, I gotta do what I gotta do. Like, it was his response. He was just I mean, going with it. He probably anticipated it, you know. So I was, it was actually way easier of a discussion. I had all this like plan, like word ninja planning that I was doing, to, like try to like convince him to be on it. And he just was like, yeah, man, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you're not gonna argue or tell me no? Well, let's hope he takes them. So yeah, I know. Well, our pharmacy filled them. So at least he has them in his possession. Yeah. That's the key. Yeah. Um, so Torvastatin 10. The other thing um, that we had to look at was his vitamin D. So normally there'd be no big deal. Vitamin D was a little low. Um, the problem was, you know, his calcium was on the, once you did correct the calcium, was on the higher side of normal, um, but his kidney function is starting to decline. Um, and since he's technically stage 3A, then we had to kind of assess, okay, is this because he's just deficient in vitamin D or is this because his kidneys are not able to activate vitamin D from his diet um, and, or, you know, in processing in the skin from sunlight and whatnot? Because if you think about vitamin D, if I give a vitamin D2 or D3 supplement, um, your body has to have two hydroxylation reactions in order to actually make that activated vitamin D. So it goes to the liver first and then the kidney. Well, if the kidney function is not where it needs to be, you're never going to have that uh, enough of that. Uh, you're not going to get that same that second hydroxylation reaction, which then activates the vitamin D. Um, and then, in that case, calcium because your vitamin D is low, calcium starts to trend low because your vitamin D is not there to absorb it. Um, and we kind of went through this whole pathway in our CKD episode, which. I'm sure if you ask Cole, he'll tell you which episode that was. I don't have the list 
I can tell you in a minute. In front of me or <laughs> ever. I rely on Cole solely for that purpose um, because uh, I and he's way more organized than I am. But um, the the basically the summary of it would be if his vitamin D is not being activated, the calcium would go low, but then that kind of process could potentially activate your parathyroid hormone to activate and in- increase, which then signals your osteoclasts and the bones to start breaking down actual bone and releasing that calcium out of the bone. So your calcium can normalize in these patients, which his was, uh, but I wanted to make sure it was normal because his vitamin D just hadn't been low that long uh, and his, he was still getting enough adequate calcium absorption or in, in not a situation where his calcium was being de- derived from his uh, bone mineral density. Right. Because um, that's the last thing this guy has to deal with on top yeah. of everything else is that. So um, we, we did get a parathyroid hormone um, level as well as a phosphorus level um, just to assess for you know, renal osteodystrophy and those kind of things. So um, luckily they came back normal. So they, I was kind of anticipating the PTH being a little high, but it wasn't. So that was good. Um, and we do have him scheduled to see a nephrologist uh, in about two, three weeks. So he's going to follow up with me and then see the nephrologist directly after I get done with him. Good. So um, it's hopefully just a matter of giving him a B vitamin uh, D supplement, probably the 50,000 units for you know once a week for a month or two, and then going to once a month after that if he needs it and kind of bringing those levels up to normal. Yeah. If you want more info on CKD, see episode 41, which was all the way back in November of 2018. Has it been that long? Yeah. We, no. Yeah. Son, I lied to you the other day. Yeah. She said we should do CKD, and I was like, oh, we just did that. Yeah. <laughs> it all feels okay. recent. It's got, didn't we do a patient case or something with CKD oh, on top of probably, it? Oh, probably, but the, the actual CKD episode was 41. So I'm, I'm so, going to check it out tonight. So, sorry for lying to you, Maybe. I apologize. <laughs> it might be way outdated now. <laughs> It, and it, honestly, back then, you really couldn't trust what we were saying anyway. We didn't sort of find our groove until about episode 103. Right, which was uh, last, episode. last time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, uh, that's, geez. Okay, 2018, yeah. I stand corrected. You know, we've been doing this a while. I, I forget. I literally feel like we've done episodes like three seconds ago, and you're like, no, we didn't talk about that in two years. Yeah. So that's why we need you around, man, because I have no idea when we did anything. It's crazy. But, um, yeah, so that was our patient. So we Did I leave anything out as far as going through that? I mean, obviously, we could go in more and more detail, but. No, it was a fun one. The, um, the truck driver thing definitely throws a wrench into the treatment plan. It, it literally, I went in there, like, with this, again, thinking I was only talking about diabetes. I was, like, kind of looking at the labs as we were walking in the hallway. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, no. Oh no! <laughs> and then we got in there, and then I realized his potassium's high. He's a truck driver. I was now, when like, did they draw these? So he, we saw him on a Monday. They had drawn them on Friday. Okay. So that's when he saw the primary care um, nurse practitioner and kind of established care. And then she had immediately put in the referral when she saw that that A1C of fifteen. Yeah. Um, to come see us on that following Monday, got him on a schedule. And so his labs came back that morning. Okay. So we were ready to, we were literally looking, reviewing his labs. They had just come in from LabCorp as we were walking up to see him. Wow. And I was like, Oh boy. So yeah, at first I thought it was going to be a pretty straightforward case. And then it turned into all kinds of weird turns. So 
Not 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 anything too crazy, but definitely more than we were anticipating at first. It's like one of those. It's one of those school cases. Like, oh, he doesn't have insurance, and he's a truck driver. So, what yeah. do you do? You know. I know, and, and honestly, I was like, this is gonna most likely end up on a podcast <laughs> or Instagram TV or something, something on social media. Yeah, we're gonna use this one. But um, yeah. So now the next after that, it's just gonna be a matter of continuing to kind of tweak things and. Yeah, the question is, what's the A1C gonna look like in? you know, three, six months once he's maxed out on a GLP one and maxed out on Metformin. Oh. Is he gonna need more or not? And that's when it gets a little tricky. Honestly, Sana's gonna have him down to a seven or eight in <laughs> no time. So we'll put put that on you then. With Sana. the dream team. Yeah. 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 They don't know it yet, but Emily and Sona um have been doing such a good job that they I am gonna have to unfortunately fail them both on purpose just so they have to come back next <laughs> have to month. Retake the rotation. Like like, hey, I'm all excited to see him again. They hate they hate my guts. <laughs> Like we did awesome. You never told us once we were doing bad. Like, yeah, no bad feedback. I just wanted to hang out with you guys more. <laughs> never allowed to precept again. <laughs> that was my downfall. But um, yeah, anything else you guys want to add? Anything else I missed? Anything before we get off? I don't think good. so. It was cool. one of the crazier cases we've seen this month. So, so all right. Um, I guess we'll wrap it up there. We'll, we maybe we'll do a follow up case and have you guys back on in a couple months and see how this guy's doing. We can kind of can shed some light on your newfound knowledge at all your other rotations <laughs> so um we'll uh we'll call it quits there um thank you guys so much for listening if you have any questions or comments we that's the other thing we would love to hear comments we get emails every once in a while um from people saying hey you guys said this completely wrong um we always welcome that too because we want to obviously learn as well and so if you have anything that you would have done differently or you know have any you know, comments or two cents you want to add, please let us know. Send us an email. We'll even put your um, comments on social media and stuff. If you want us to share them, that's cool too. Um, but if you have any questions for us, want to get in contact, obviously email. Um, you can use any of the social media platforms. And um, if you want to support the podcast, uh, make sure you check out uh, the Patreon page. Um, you can go to www.patreon.com slash rx. And I've been uploading all of my lectures that I do for the PA students on there, as well as the slide sets that I use. So it's like three bucks a month and you can get access to all that stuff. Um, and three bucks covers it for every time I upload a, a new lecture, you get access to it. If you can't afford it and you don't want to put it, just shoot me an email and I'll just give you the access code. I'm not really worried about making a ton of money off this. All the money goes back in the podcast anyway. So yeah, if you go, or just uh, like I've said before, if you guys just get like three friends and get a dollar each and then just share the code amongst each other, that's cool too. I don't, I'm, I'm a fan of pirating. That's fine. Yeah. Netflix it. Yeah. Netflix it. You can Netflix our podcast. Uh, in or, that way you can. Oh, cool. Oh, I see what you're saying. Netflix, like share the path. Cole, you would never do that. <laughs> no, never. I'm a Cole rule. just incriminated himself I'm a on rule, the air. I'm a rule follower. You are. Uh, I'm, I'm sure. I feel like you've shared your podcast or your network, uh, Netflix code with somebody. I'm going to start doing never some tell. So, yeah, thank you guys so much. Um, the moral of all that story I was just getting at was thank you for the support. Thank you for listening. Um, and we will see you next time. Bye.